This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello everybody and welcome to the Super J Cast. I'm Joel. It is Saturday the 22nd of October 2022. This is episode 231 and this week I'm joined by friend of the show Chris Samsa. Thank you once again Chris for hopping on. Incredibly, this is actually the first time we've ever spoken to each other. Uh, that's not in sort of text or, or Slack or tweet form. So when you pointed that out, we absolutely had to fix that especially considering there are uh, uh, allegedly only about five of us still watching New Japan right now. So uh, welcome to the show. Hello. I'm, uh, I'm so happy to finally do audio with you. We, we, we speak frequently um, in, in modern ways, but um, always good to hear an actual voice on the other side of a line. So um, I'm excited to be able to, to hop in here with you after I did a, a whole episode with Damon a little while ago. So um, yeah. Love the Jcast. Love to hop on. Love to be the uh, the super sub New Japan podcast guy. So um, yeah, I'm I'm stoked. Now uh, something you mentioned off the air. I'm well known in the podcasting world as being the man with the most audible mute button in the business. I'm very proud of that, Chris. So, yeah, I mean, you of course you've got reputation as uh, a man with very high standards of quality in your audio output, both the content and the sound itself, where my benchmark for success is just recording a fucking show that doesn't get completely torpedoed by my kids or wife or, or just general existence. So give me some tips, please. Like, what, what can I do to fix this? Uh, and as I say this out loud, I realize it might not make the most compelling content for a podcast ostensibly about wrestling, but I've never given a toss before. So why start now? So, uh, you know, it's bad luck following. Say, fuck them. Uh, so uh, how can I stop myself from becoming the... The great muter, if you like. The great muter. That's incredible. Um, now you just you can't. You have to own the 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 gimmick, and you just have to be the great muter. Um, I don't I don't really have an answer for that without going way into the weeds. Um, there occasionally in I think the voices of wrestling Slack we go deep dive on audio gear and um maybe some people know and i talked about it a little bit the last time i was on jcast my some of my background is in music and music production so um my gear is is not necessarily geared towards podcasting exclusively so um hopefully i sound uh good and i probably won't even mute because i'm just gonna own the gimmick here at the jcast and just kind of let things fly so um but I, I don't know how to solve that for you um, besides, you know, I don't know, some sort of major upgrade, which we don't we don't really want that. And honestly, the 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 range of acceptability in a in a wrestling podcast is is pretty it's pretty wide. Right. I don't know that anyone's listening to a lot of wrestling podcasts and thinking, man, I really love the audio quality of this one. Um, we're here for the content. We're here for the quips. We're here for the personalities, um, and maybe some stats and info when Chris Samsa is around. Um, but otherwise, you know, I think I think you hit you, you're well above the floor of what's acceptable in the space. So I think you're killing it. 
Yeah, that, that is my motto in life, Chris. Just do the absolute bare minimum to get by. Um, I mean, genuinely curious, like, if there's any listeners out there who uh, think that my audio quality is a problem, like, it's affecting your enjoyment of the show, please do uh, reach out to me so I can block you. Um, right, so <laughs> let's get on to things then. So <laughs> we're going to get to all the news and reviews in the world of New Japan in good time. But uh, it is a special time of year, Chris. It is Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame season. And, of course... With us being very important members of the uh, pro wrestling intelligentsia, our ballots have arrived nice and early and about fucking time, if you ask me. So uh, tell me, Chris, what is your preferred method for smelling your own farts? Uh, I'm more of a head under the (laughs) duvet kind of guy myself. You know, I like to do it in private. Yeah. Um, And I and and that goes for my uh, Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame ballot. I by rule for a little while couple of years i didn't i didn't even tell really anyone publicly that i had a ballot and then now going forward and and still like my my general rule is i will never disclose my entire ballot um it's just i i it's not i don't want to be that deep into that discourse because it gets very aggressive um and it gets very you know there's there's a lot of people out there in in so i i'll vote in the u.s and japan and there's a lot of people out there that know a lot more about U.S. and Japan than me. Um, and I know that. And I, you know, I do my due diligence and I have great conversations about these types of things. But um, I don't feel necessarily that I'm an expert in sharing my opinion, though I'm, I believe I'm an expert in researching. Um, truthfully, I do think I, that's a skill that I have. So I research heavily and I but I will not like do a big write up about why I'm voting for any certain person. And I will not, uh, you know, say that on a podcast. I might you you can probably infer who I'm going to vote for in, in certain conversations. But um, so my uh, preferred method for smelling my own farts is to do so extremely privately, but with a lot of knowledge behind it. Well, it's very interesting to say that. And I'll level with you because the the Hall of Fame is not something I've paid a, a huge amount of attention to in past years. I like to listen to the Voices of Wrestling Patreon content. They do excellent stuff. So if you are not already subscribed, I think that is the one-stop shop for Hall of Fame content. But um, this year, I've sort of realized the immense potential of using my ballot as a, a vehicle to snidely mock strangers on the internet, which you know me, Chris, like not only that, but having the power to really upset subsections of the wrestling fandom that I personally dislike. And and to me, the idea of sending the likes of Edge or, or, or Roman Reigns sliding off the ballot like a, a big smelly turd down the toilet, you know, not necessarily because I think they, they do or don't deserve to, to be in the Hall of Fame, but more because it'll annoy people that I don't respect. I'm going to have a lot of fun this year. That is certainly an approach. Um, not sure that you'll get the invite back if you're super public about that. But um, I think that there's value to that, though, because it adds to conversation. The real way to really make people mad with the, the Hall of Fame is what I found is to vote for one person in Mexico because it screws over like everybody else. Um, and and that's the that's like the thing that people put out there all the time. They're like, oh, this person's just going to vote for whoever it may be in in Mexico, and then everybody else is going to lose their percentage points, right? Um, So that's that's a good trick if you want to employ that. No, that's good advice. And of course, obviously, this is all tongue-in-cheek. Dave, if you're listening, I'm going to do my due diligence. I'm not going to do joke voting. Uh, I will take your advice, Chris. I'm just going to vote for one 
Mexican wrestler, my favorite Mexican wrestler, Tetsuya Naito. Uh, and I will <laughs> say this, it, the, the discourse is already starting to get on my nerves because I've started mm. to see the bad ballots popping up on Twitter. So we have some questions from our listeners. Shruby says, why the fuck is Tetsuya Naito not in yet? Spannerhead says, if Ishii gets in before Naito, is it time to send Kikuchi's Yakuza hitman onto Meltzer? No, no, look, this is not Dave's fault, but it's, you know, it's other people doing the voting. But uh, and of course, I'm not going to put you on the spot, Chris, and ask you to tell us who you voted for. As you said, you know, we respect privacy in, in an election. There's, you know, there's a cornerstone of democracy. But I have seen actual humans doing actual ballots with Ishii on them and not Naito, which, I mean, to me, that's absolute clown shit. I mean, let's clarify, right? We, we've got three criteria, uh, drawing power, in-ring performances, and positive historical significance. Now, I like Tom here at Ishii as much as the next guy, maybe a bit less, but... He's a big fat zero for two out of the three categories. Let's be real. I mean, you have to be pretty fucking good in the ring to make up for that. And if you want to have that debate, you know, I'm open to it. I may not necessarily agree, but I'll hear those arguments. But to do that without voting for Naito, one of the best wrestlers in the company, leader of the most popular faction, and at worst, the third biggest star in New Japan, picking Ishii over Naito is Pure smooth brain behavior, uh, not on my watch. So for me, Chris, with great power comes great responsibility. To, to, to me, this is Operation Get Naito In. We might not succeed. We probably won't because the majority of US wrestling fans are dunces. But uh, it's uh, it's nice to have hobbies. Well, so I haven't. I didn't look at where he was at. Uh, I guess last year with the voting, or um, or or even recently in in his percentages. But I know that this year there are there's kind of I don't want to call it a whole new generation of voters but there's a lot of more people I guess in the space than I inhibit in wrestling that has a vote now um Dave was it seems like Dave wanted to get some extra some more votes out there in in a way of of fresh blood you know new new people voting so I do think um if it's if my read on it is right i think this year we'll see kind of what naito's true pacing is now in the sense of ishii versus naito i think the thing to keep in mind with the wrestling observer hall of fame is that of course it's influenced by people who listen to dave and dave is a huge ishii in-ring fan like just he's the best in the world to dave or one of the best in the world to dave and ultimately in the instructions for voting for the hall of fame it basically says like if you think someone is truly the best in one category then they should be a hall of famer even if they don't have much in the other two categories so that's to me that's both dave's influence and ishii's reputation coming through as being just this guy that has been an in-ring monster for a decade plus now um, and Naito is more of a nuanced case where you're looking at drawing power, you're looking at in-ring, and you're looking at historical significance. But to me, anyone who's, you know, headlined the Tokyo Dome multiple times, like you have to have that conversation about historical significance, especially during literally the hottest period of an entire company's career, maybe the hottest um, period any company's ever had in pro wrestling, which was kind of 2012 to... 2018 2019 new japan so and naito was on top for that whole time so um he's got a heck of a case they the other change in the wrestling observer uh voting this year is that there are tag teams 
suddenly added to the ballot. And there's also um, limits, I think a smaller limitation on how many people you can vote for in each region. So all those things balancing out, it's going to be kind of an interesting um, vote to, to be attentive to, specifically in the way of guys like Naito, Ishii, and Abushi, who are guys that I think are on the bubble with, with voting. I don't think that anyone is in danger of falling off the ballot, but I think this would be a year where we could see a rise in their percentages, which could be promising going forward because momentum kind of ends up mattering. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting debates and discussions to be had over the next few weeks as uh, that stuff gets unpicked. And again, Voices of Wrestling Patreon is probably the best place to start, definitely. So um, I guess that will transition us on to modern day New Japan. Just how are you feeling about the product these days? I have really liked what what the product is right now. Um, You know, coming out of G1, you kind of go into a down season. You almost have a month where you you can kind of... um, kind of cherry pick what you're what you're paying attention to but declaration of power i think was a great show really kind of set things up to go high speed towards the end of the year and towards wrestle kingdom and we've got this tv title tournament which is super fun little something a little different i wish the roster of the tournament was a little bit different but um i think there's still some some hang-ups there but ultimately like the match style has been really cool and i'm sure we're going to talk about all that um yeah and ultimately you know we're we're headed towards Wrestle Kingdom which is going to have a main event of Kazuchika Okada and and Jay White and there's some you know I see some discussion and and even I feel like if that's not the sexiest like holy cow finally type matchup but you know I think if you really think back the story probably is Jay White in the main event in the Tokyo Dome can this guy win it but in this version of himself, you know, the this bullet club switchblade, you know, nefarious means kind of guy. Like we saw the Obushi match. It went forever. It was a really long match, but it was one of my favorite matches of that year. And like that's kind of that storyline, I think, for Jay White. And then you add in Okada, who's also this kind of he's becoming the final boss for like everyone in New Japan. Okada in the Tokyo Dome. It's the same story that they're telling with Will Ospreay as they're telling with Jay White. Um, and, and Jay White kind of gets the first main event crack at it. So I'm, I'm excited for that. Um, you know, tag league, I always feel is underrated by the fandom and kind of, um, you know, panned. Um, and this year we get two at the same time, two full tag leagues at the same time. And I have a great time with tag league because, um, a lot of my work comes into, comes into play some of the more kind of goofy statistical stuff that I can do. So you know, I'm excited for the end of the year. I do like this little break um, that we haven't gotten the past couple of years between the G1 and um, and Wrestle Kingdom. So, you know, I've, I think I've said it all year long and every chance I've gotten this year feels so good to me for New Japan because they're just back on the regular schedule. And like, I feel I'm in my natural rhythm. So I'm, I don't know. I'm excited about it. I think this I think some of the stuff they're trying is actually starting to land. Yeah, and it feels they're also just starting to shake off the the shackles of COVID and the pandemic and all those restrictions. We're not quite there yet, as we all know, but it feels like we're we're really close. And so with that in mind, uh, a few questions from listener Anwar, who says, a few questions for you, Chris. What do you think the company needs to do to gain more interest from the Western fans? And as a bonus for you here, where did your love of maths and numbers originate? And what are your top five New Japan matches ever? 
Uh, take care. Booze was great in the last episode. Yes, here, here. I thought uh, Booze, tremendous. Always great when she steps in. Uh, so I'll leave those questions with you, Chris, uh, in any order that you like. Um, I, I don't think I can answer top five matches because I don't keep a list like that. I'm not a matches stars guy. So like, and I'm also like, I'm in a, but I am an Excel guy. So I don't just, I, if I had a list, it would be very detailed. Um, I will say my favorite match ever is Ishii and Shibata from the 2013 G1. And I, every year um, when that anniversary rolls around, I have to get that on Twitter and make people spend 12 minutes watching it because it's just, to me, it's the perfect New Japan. It, it's literally what I wish all these TV title championship matches were. It's 12 minutes of just like, it's a sprint, like a true sprint. Um, and that's not quite what these TV title matches have been, but I'm hopeful that 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 that's where that goes. Um, what else, what was the other question? My my love of math and numbers. Um, I've explained that a couple times. I I'm a baseball nerd at heart. Like that's my true sport of 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 passion for my whole life. And baseball was one of the first to really go full analytics. And now I'm honestly super annoyed by it, by how often it's it's used and, and misused in baseball. But it, it did kind of open my eyes to say, like, maybe there's a space for this in pro wrestling. And there seems to be. So that that was kind of where that started. I just started to, like, think of data that I could compile. And now it, it gets put to great use by, you know, Chris and Kevin and Gino and whoever is um, paying, you know, doing the doing the commentary for for new japan so that's that's kind of where that came from and there was something else in there too right oh what do they need to do to what does new japan need to do to grow western audience you know that's that's the thing to unlock but i think right now the primary focus is to serve the japanese fan base because those are the ones that are really buying the tickets to you know 100 and some odd probably 200 events a year so I think really what we need to do right now to to gain buzz and gain interest is to just put out a great product um, and, you know, to continue to put out a great product because I don't think the product has necessarily faltered. But I think to make it more appealing, we need cheering crowds in Japan and we need it to be like a natural thing for people to watch um, and not have to trick themselves into you know, considering what the crowd, how the crowd would be reacting. So, and for a long time during like heavy pandemic, I would do episodes of, you know, Omikaze or keeping it strong style. And I would say like clap crowds, they are what they are. And it, and it, and it is what it is. And I'm, I'm used to it. And the wrestling is still great, which was all true. I'm reaching the point. Um, and maybe it's because in, in my personal life, I've, you know, this week I've attended two concerts i've gone to a bunch of baseball games you know like we are i mean america right like back to normal no no consideration for for pandemic at this point and maybe so maybe that's that filtering through but like the live experience is is so huge and i think that that's a big driver for the enjoyment on on television right so even if you go on youtube and you watch a rock concert like part of what you're paying attention to is what the crowd is doing. Are they singing along? Are there, you know, big, big cheers at the beginning of songs, things like that. So, and those are the things that I think at this point, people are just starting to expect again. So I think that that's going to be a huge driver for Western engagement, because I do think 
that has been kind of put on a pedestal in the sense of star ratings and things like that. Like what was the crowd reaction? And to add that back into the fold when the wrestling is still good, the storylines are still good. And, you know, you still have some of the best um, long-term booking in the, in, in the world of pro wrestling. I think once it's a more natural product more consistently, I think we're going to see the interest come back pretty significantly. Yeah, I very much agree. This is a case of sort of build it and they will come. Just concentrate on putting out a good product without necessarily, I don't want to use the phrase pandering, but, you know, doing so to a particular fan base in mind. Just make sure that what they're putting out is decent and then and people will come and watch. But uh, now it does add a bit of extra excitement when you can look at the New Japan uh, schedules and you see under certain things, cheering event, cheering event. And that definitely adds a bit of spice for these uh, uh We've got so a couple of shows coming up with the TV title tournament next week, and I think quite a few of those shows in the Super Junior and World Tag League Tour will be cheering events. So definitely, I think it's a, a good place for anyone who's lapsed because the cheering has become an issue to dip the toes back in the water. And I mean, you brought up Wrestle Kingdom. Um, it's the response has been mixed so far for the matches that have been announced. Uh, Straight Edge Devastator asks, excluding the main event, which you talked about, Chris, what's the best possible match New Japan can offer for Wrestle Kingdom to get fans excited for the event as we push toward World Tag League? Well, if I look back to what what I have been told was the largest um, growth in New Japan World subscriptions since its inception in 2019 when Kenny Omega fought Chris Jericho. But if I look back at that and say that maybe that's the model, it's Kenny Omega and Will Ospreay. And I don't know what that looks like. And I think the longer Kenny Omega sits out of AEW, the less chance of that match happening anytime soon is because he's, he's not going to wrestle anywhere else first. Um, But I think that's If that's a match that anyone's holding in their holster, if they can make that happen, then that's the one. That's the one that's going to drive a ton of interest. Yeah, agree. Um, and again, this is something I've had reservations about personally, about where I would like to see it. I just think it would be difficult, shall we say, to have that kind of match in front of a, a clap crowd. But I suppose we'll have to just wait and see how that one pans out. And I mean, in terms of collaborating with companies like AEW, not just AEW, um, Kevin says, how close is New Japan to its quote-unquote, working with 50 organizations in 2022 goal. And Ben says, would you rather have AEW partnership or do more with CMLL? Like back in the day, CMLL at the Dome, talent in CMLL, more CMLL talent in Best of Super Junior, Super Junior Tag, World Tag League, etc. Um, this is something that I know Joe's talked a lot about on Voices Wrestling, that CMLL have sort of quietly got their act together and are putting out a really, really strong product at the moment. So I think if we're talking collaboration, that is one area that, is not really getting the attention it deserves at the moment. Yeah, and I, I've never been much of a lucha. I, I've never paid much attention to lucha. I love mat like lucha matches, but I don't know much about the stories, the booking. I can, you know, you, you kind of parachute in for some of these big shows, and you can pick things up pretty easily, which is kind of nice. But um, I do think that's always been a really strong relationship, but we've never, we haven't seen it that frequently. Right. So I was thinking a lot about this in, in regards to like the young lions and, and excursion and you know, the, the length of excursions is something that people talk about a lot. And I think, 
you know, when I think about that, like the reason that that's not necessarily a great thing anymore, and I, we're probably going to talk about this when we talk about Royal Quest, but like these guys are really exposed now. They're not going on excursion to disappear. They're going on excursion for people to continue to watch their growth. And but if you send someone to Mexico, that CMLL doesn't have the, I guess the the clearance that other wrestling companies have in the sense of like being super accessible to specifically like streaming or New Japan fans. Like it's 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 a much different excursion experience, I think. Um, whereas if you go to ref pro or you go to, uh, the LA dojo, you see pretty much everything that they do publicly at least. So I think that CMLL is a, a really good strategic partner in that way, depending on what, you know, an excursion wrestler needs now in the sense of crossover, you know, we've seen what the CMLL crossovers look like. I, I really truly hope Fantastica mania is back this year because it, you know, I think that that's a really fun tour for the for the New Japan guys, and I know that that's a great payday for the for the CMLL guys. So I I know that that's a tour that everyone wants to get back on the books. So, you know, if I'm saying either or, you know, I mean the the AEW relationship, we haven't seen what that looks like when people can travel to Japan, um, and that's what I would like to explore before I write that relationship off because I'd like to see kind of what level of star will show up, um, what kind of space they have to show up and do a full tour or or big events on wednesdays truthfully um so and we haven't really explored that yet with the AEW situation uh one thing that we're just dipping our toes into now is the uh, forbidden door opening with wwe uh, of course sarcasm i mean we are of course discussing the situation with uh, machine gun carl anderson and doc gallows who uh apparently signed deals with WWE. They're appearing regularly on WWE programming, but there's a lot of murky water with regards to what this means for the relationship with New Japan, particularly Carl Anderson being the never openweight champion. So a few questions on this. Uh, Daryl says, why did Ghetto think it was a good idea to put a belt on this guy in 2022? And Unknown Untold says, seriously, what kind of black material does Carl quote, uh, shitty Brock Lesnar, Anderson, have that has been, he has been allowed to hold the never open weight title hostage after delivering nothing but dud matches since his return. And Multiverse A says, if this isn't a part of some dumb story, the Good Brothers going back on their word to Rocky is awful. This should get them blackballed from non-WWE places. Was there any good to the Good Brothers run at all? On to good wrestlers now. So I suppose the the big question here, Chris, is, is this a work? How much of this do you think is a work? Uh, it's, I think it's a hundred percent of work. I think it's all agreed. I think there's a lot of things agreed to, and I think there's a lot of things that are still up in the air. So I think, I think he, I think Carl Anderson had this opportunity to sign with WWE and he, and I, truthfully, my, my read on it, and this is just through some minimal conversations with some people is that he didn't. He WWE wanted him to debut him and Gallows, the the the, the duo, to debut quickly, um, because that's what WWE is doing right now. They're bringing people back and they're getting them on the screen immediately. Um, so they they wanted them to come come in, start this you know angle with the club or you know whatever. And Carl Anderson was like, I need to handle business at New Japan because I've had a good relationship with them for a decade plus. They've always been really good to me. 
you know, this, that, and the other thing. My best friend is Rocky Romero. One of my best friends is Rocky Romero, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? I truly don't think Carl Anderson was like, you know, F them, I'm out. I'm going to take this belt with me. Maybe we'll figure it out. Maybe we won't. I don't think that's the read. My my read on it is WWE wanted him to come in. He was like, I need to finish business. And they were like, cool, you can do one more date. And then I don't think that that date is actually figured out yet. Um. My, if I had to bet, it would be Tokyo Dome, right? Like, why wouldn't Bright Lights Anderson drive for a, a Tokyo Dome match? But I think that I think it's an angle, and I think it's a um, an attempt to elevate Hikaleo even without having a match because Anderson's going to avoid him. Um, and then I think that possibly Wrestle Kingdom or maybe something in the U.S. You know. One of the if 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 they really want to make it easy on themselves, they can just do New York in a week. But I don't think um, the angle will have played out by then. So, but I think that that's the I think that that's what's happening here. Yeah, all the evidence points that way because the the modus operandi for New Japan seems to be if there's genuinely uh, a problem with a wrestler or professionalism, it's all dealt with very very quietly. And the fact that they are leaning into this so hard, you know, we've got Anderson and Hikolo going at each other on social media. We've got, you know, people like uh, Tokyo Sports printing stuff, um, Chris Charlton tweeting about it. Uh, it's all that signs point to it being a work. Now, I suppose the, the big question here is if they knew that Carl Anderson wasn't going to be able to appear at Osaka before promoting that match, I mean, that's a really dangerous game, isn't it, to knowingly promote a match on a card that you're selling tickets for that you know you're not going to be able to deliver that to me seems like a very very dangerous thing to do yeah and it's not something new japan does like this is that would be very out of character um to to just announce a show or announce a match and knowingly that that it wasn't going to be able to happen so but it's been a weird year with titles and defenses and people dropping. I mean, there's been so many vacancies. There's been so many title matches announced that looked on paper like, eh, that's. I don't know if Juice Robinson's going to make it after appendicitis. And I don't know, you know, if this person can travel or this, that, or the other. There's been so many things like that with the titles, which I think actually makes this particular storyline less effective is because there's been legitimate um happenings like this all year long specifically around the u.s title mostly um but we also had a never vacancy we've had you know the the heavyweight situation what was that last year or maybe that was 2020 with um no it was 2021 with will osprey and the second belt and all that like so there's been a lot of belt things where you know the belts held hostage and you know Carl Anderson probably should have dropped the never title when he forgot to bring it with him on one of his trips to the U to, to Japan or when he picked up the wrong never title to challenge for the never title. He picked up one of the never six man titles, but um, it's been a weird ride. It's been a weird ride with this Carl Anderson, you know, good brothers thing. And I know that they, they were supposed to come in and they were supposed to debut at um, what was the show in LA, the show in LA, um, and then they were supposed to like really take off, but then travel was still a pain. And then they spent a bunch of time in impact and, you know, 
other companies with relationships with New Japan and that, you know, like they just they never really got to take off. And then they finally showed up in Japan. And, and you know, by then Triple H is in power and he wants his boys back, which, you know, more power to him to go make the money. But, you know, we're going to have to figure out this this belt situation. Yeah, I don't believe that Carl Anderson sort of deliberately fucked over New Japan because given what you've laid out and the history that they got together, it just doesn't seem like the sort of thing that he would do. Like, why burn that bridge? But it's really hard for me to predict how this one plays out because I suppose there's a number of options. Either, you know, does Carl show up in Osaka after he's been teased appearing in Saudi Arabia or he doesn't show up and they strip him of the belt or he doesn't show up but there's, I don't know, a video challenge or something and we get a... The, the defense coming up at Wrestle Kingdom. Like, what do you think is the end game here? And, and I guess the bigger question is: it worth it? Like, is there a best case scenario that doesn't make New Japan look like mugs for tolerating all this? I, you know, I if I had to guess, I would guess that the that Wrestle Kingdom's the spot that the that the defense actually happens. I don't think he shows up in osaka because i think that saudi payday and 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 where wwe puts those saudi shows kind of on their um you know hierarchical schedule that's that's pretty high up there for them um and you know we there's no reason to get into that but um it it's fact of the matter is they 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 prioritize those shows so they want their they want some of these guys on those shows so i don't think he's showing up in osaka i there's another two months before Wrestle Kingdom, you know, you've got tag league finals, I guess would be an option. You've got anything that we're doing in the U S. So any of the strong tapings or, um, I don't think there's another big U S event this year before Wrestle Kingdom, um, after New York. And there's, you know, you've got road to Tokyo dome shows, some, they've done never title changes on the road to Tokyo Dome shows, if I remember correctly. And then you set something up for the Tokyo Dome in the, you know, 10 days later, or you've got the Tokyo Dome. If he hasn't dropped it by the Tokyo Dome, we may never see. It may be a Brock Lesnar situation where we've got to make a new belt. Well, I, I know a lot of people are upset by this, but one way of looking at it is that it seems extremely unlikely that Good Brothers will be taking part in World Tag League. So <laughs> that's a win in my book. That's um, true. And I'm. There are questions to be asked, of course, about contract situations. Uh, Bash writes in and says, what is it with New Japan not having guys under contract and using them as freelancers? If Anderson was under contract, do you think any of this stuff would be happening right now? I mean, a contract is a contract, but I I don't think it's right to drag New Japan over the coals for not having him tied down to a contract because, I mean, one, obviously the financial situation is a bit more sticky than it was before the pandemic. So just handing out contracts to people willy-nilly may not necessarily be the right course of action right now. I don't think there's anything wrong with testing the waters with sort of paper appearance deals. And then, you know, if it's successful, then you turn them down to a long-term deal. But what's your thought on the contracts, no contract situation? I mean, I, I just don't think New Japan is going to change how they operate uh, in, in that way. And in response to... Um, what happens in America, right? Like in the U S these guys get these exclusivity deals and you know, there's a lot of discussion They're They're independent contractors, but they're exclusive to WWE, AEW, you know, MLW, whoever, right. Impact. So I, I don't think new Japan's ever going to do that for their guys that they're bringing in internationally. I know that 
contracts are pretty ironclad when it comes to you know domestic talent um and that that never gets discussed um but then anyone that they're bringing in you know aside from the people that are either considering moving to japan or going totally full-time guys like jeff cobb you know will osprey zach saber jr like those guys that are like 100 percent with you know hardly doing any freelance you know maybe occasionally coming over and doing some freelance stuff they're not going to change how they operate contractually because first of all it's very expensive to to get exclusivity like that um and and second of all it's just it they've never needed to and you know i don't know that carl anderson's the guy to inspire a need to do that maybe a guy like jonah is um and i think that that's a different conversation too right and i think that there's a lot of um there's a lot of eyeballs on what jonah's gonna do or where he's gonna pop up but um you know, I don't. I don't think Carl Anderson in this situation with the Never Belt is going to inspire New Japan to like put a bunch of um, international talent under contract when they have never needed to. And I, you know, going forward, I just don't think it's going to be a problem that frequently. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and Jonah is definitely one to be keeping an eye on. He would be one guy that I think it would be a shame if they lost out on if he was snapped up again by WWE, but. Again, this is how New Japan do things. So I don't think it's fair to start expecting them to change, especially now when they are suffering financially as a result of the pandemic. Um, now, let's move on to talking about some actually good tag teams. Let's talk about Royal Quest 2. So this was a two-day event on Saturday and Sunday, October 1st and 2nd in London, the Crystal Palace National Sports Centre. What were your general thoughts on the shows, Chris? Because, I mean, to me, it was two halves of one great show, which I mean, I guess that's a new Japan model these days where the best matches are spread out a bit more thinly than we would have seen several years ago. But I don't think anyone went home from either nights thinking, Oh, that was rubbish. I want my money back. Yeah. Well, the thing is with this particular two night event, they, they sold, they pretty much sold out the building both nights. So that to me makes it worth it. Now, when you, when you do half sales for two nights in a row, then that doesn't make sense to me. You may as well just put on one great show, but yeah, my, you know, what I think is cool is that this, I mean, this crowd was hot and that meant a lot to some of these matches. It meant a lot to the whole vibe of the atmosphere. Um, and that was to be expected. So I think something that New Japan has gotten right since the pandemic, since I think we talk a lot about business strategy that New Japan's gotten wrong over the, over the course of the pandemic, I think something they have gotten right is actually they're, they're getting to markets, um, they're getting to more underserved markets quick, quicker than, say, AEW, right? If that's the main kind of ticket buying company that they're competing with, they're getting places before them. So they got to the West Coast, you know, that we, we did our first show back in the US in LA. And then we got to and that was a hot crowd in, in its own way. It was a very LA crowd, but it was a hot crowd in its own way. And then, you know, it went to the UK before AEW kind of even sniffed it. Um, and that I think is actually really important. Um, and that I think is the part of the reason why the crowd was particularly hot because it was the first, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to discount any of the wrestling that is happening in the UK because I do think there's a lot of really good stuff that's happening there, but it was the first big major total, you know, high end major league, uh, event that happened outside of the big WWE show. And I think that that is still a different market in its own way too. You know, WWE is a whole separate conglomerate. So that to me brought the vibe of the show up in the sense of, you know, it, it was at that level of some of these really hot AEW shows. 
um, which was which made it really a treat to watch two weeks after it happened. Yeah, I know you mentioned it actually, Chris. I think it was very smart to have FDR involved in such high-profile matches to to try to tap into that AEW fandom in the UK because you could tell that they were really, really over with this crowd. This was not a sort of pure New Japan fan crowd. This was a wrestling fan crowd. So I think it was a really good idea to have them in that spot. I mean, let's work from top to bottom then. So the main event for night one was the IWGP Tag Team Championship match with FDR successfully defending against Aussie Open. It went 31 minutes, 59 seconds with Big Rig. Uh, How did you enjoy this one, Chris? I mean... How could you not enjoy this match? I mean, I, I'm sure I'm sure there's someone out there who didn't, some contrarian. But you know, I part of me hates how much I love this match because I'm not an FTR guy. Um, I think they're good. I think they're great. I you know I think that they're they have momentum for days, and I think that they are they are working that momentum as they should, and and they're brilliant for that. And but Aussie Open really shined in this match, even in a loss. And I think that that was really cool to see. I think the crowd was just wild, which is they were ready for this match. And after the semi-main, that I mean, that's something too because they were just building and building and building throughout this this whole show. And you finally got to this main event, and it's smarter them to put this on night one when you know the crowd is going to be hottest probably because that whole crowd was excited to be there. Um, yeah, I mean FTR. In the ring, they're incredible. They're great promos. They're great pro wrestlers. Um, I, I I do enjoy what they're doing right now. I'm just not I'm not like a fanboy for the you know the Bret Hart cosplay stuff. But they're they're killing it. They killed it in this match. Aussie Open really elevated themselves. If anyone's not paying attention to Aussie Open, they were missing out already. And now they're undeniable. I thought it was quite interesting the sort of face heel dynamics of the match because I mean me as a, a New Japan watcher I'm very sort of casually follow AEW. The way I looked at this match was okay, well FTR are the bad guys because they've got the IWGP Tag Team Championship. They're the outsiders. They barely defend it. So I'm rooting for Aussie Open, who are the sort of regular New Japan guys who are taking on all comers. They're on strong nearly every week. They're coming out of Japan. So I was cheering for them. So it was really interesting to actually hear the UK crowds sort of mostly behind FTR. And I think that sort of plays into what I mentioned earlier about sort of tapping into that AEW fandom because there are a lot of AEW fans there. And you, you could tell just by the reception that they gave FTR. And it was a very, uh, and I, I don't mean this in a pejorative way, but like a very AEW style tag match, you know, quite unlike the kind of tag match you get in New Japan. Like they went fully in on the, the, and again, I don't mean this in a bad way, sort of the NXT takeover style sort of main event tag team epic, you know, high paced, full of spots, very emotional, very high drama. So again, it was very uh, refreshing, if you will. You know, I'm not sure this is the sort of thing I want, want to see every week in New Japan, but certainly something a bit different for these kind of shows. And I would, you know, take this any day of the week over, you know, <laughs> for one of a better example, Good Brothers phoning in for a 10 minute match. But um, I'm just curious now that FDR have retained it. How do you see their... IWGP Tag Team Championship reign playing out? I, that's another great question. Um, I, part of me feels like somehow, some way, we've got to get to um, FTR versus Aussie Open 2 in a bigger in a bigger spot, whether that's Tokyo Dome or, you know, 
Rigoku or something like that. But it does sort of seem like we're just going to go back to Cobb and Okan uh, as the next challenger because that was kind of teased after this after this match. So it it would you'd be leaving money on the table after people really hyped up this match to not kind of go back to it. But um, I'm not sure what the availabilities are. I'm not sure how Tony Khan feels about FTR losing to Aussie Open. Um, you know, I think that there's a lot of um, I think there's a lot to hash out, and I think. You know, we we knew that when they picked up the belts that this this was going to be a reign that gets um, maybe criticized because they're probably not going to defend it very frequently. Um, And I don't know that New Japan's in a spot where we can have, you know, there's so many secondary shows. It would be really nice to have the IWGP titles just active in Japan. Um, but I don't think we're going to see FTR and tag league. I think that would be, that would be really surprising to me though. That would probably actually be really fun, but, um, I don't know. You got to figure they're going to do a Tokyo dome match, but it's hard to, it's hard to say who right now. And we've still got, again, two months before we really need to know. Yeah, I agree with you in the sense that I do feel we are building towards Khan on the cop because the whole story with them this year has been, them winning the titles, but then losing them in three-way matches. So I don't think they've actually been beaten in a two-on-two match for quite some time. Certainly, you know, they haven't lost the titles that way. So it would seem that the the direction moving forward would be Khan on the Cobb win World Tag League, and then we can have Khan on the Cobb finally getting their two-on-two match with FTR at the Tokyo Dome. I mean, the question will be then, given that it's a one-night show, we're not doing two nights in Wrestle Kingdom, are they going to give that match the time that, both teams would necessarily want. So I think something interesting to keep an eye on moving forward. Um, talking about the seventh match then, a special singles match with Will Ospreay defeating Shota Umino in 50 minutes, 30 seconds. Uh, what are your thoughts on this match and how far off do you think Shota is from being ready to return full-time? I mean, Shota looks great. Um, there was a period of time when, you know, you, you, we knew Shota still had some work to do. Um even even when I saw Shota at Windy City Riot, like he came out and he had the Jay White match. He was the surprise, you know, the surprise um, competitor in that. And he looked good, but I don't know that the Jay White style was Jay, Jay White um, doesn't always elevate his opponent the way that Will Ospreay does. Whereas Jay White is very character driven and he's a i mean he's one of the best pro wrestlers in the world but in the sense of if 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 a wrestler needs to show that they're ready to hang in ring you and you put him in the ring with will osprey you're gonna know really quickly if he if they can hang right so this felt like kind of a, a final test a final excursion match um from shoda and then we've also got an angle coming out of it that will carry through to new japan which i think is to me a trigger point to say he's coming back pretty soon. So are you talking about the situation with the stoppage, the ref stoppage yes. at the end with his his father calling off the match? Uh, I mean, did you see that as an early stoppage? How do you see that one playing out? I mean, it was certainly made into being a thing. So I, we have to address it as an angle more than anything else. So that is a common stoppage that was kind of elbow forearms to the back of the head that is kind of a common stoppage in pro wrestling though we don't necessarily see it with osprey very frequently so to 
and commentary put it over pretty heavy. And I, I don't know this for a fact, but I know I know the English commentary doesn't necessarily get notes of what to put over and what to put forth as a as a as an angle. But I do know that they recorded Royal Quest in the New Japan offices after the fact. So there's, I guess, potential that they were actually given some notes for this show. Now, I don't know that I, um, you know, I, I haven't had a ton of communication with anyone right now because we're kind of in a, a down period. And when single elimination tournaments are happening, I can do them round by round. So we don't talk very frequently, but I'm so I'm speculating. I want to be really clear about that. But it does. It did feel when I was watching these shows that they had more input about the go forward plan than they usually do and they really have talked about um you know specifically you know chris charlton has talked a ton about the referee stoppage being an early stoppage or you know on these royal quest shows so um so i do read it as a um as an angle i think it all ties back to to the will osprey angle with the referees earlier in the year when he was getting, you know, all sorts of screwed over and, and it was, it was part of his storyline. And I guess it still kind of is, except now he's pulling out W's out of it. So, um, yeah, it, it, it was certainly highlighted. So I think that, I think we have to recognize it as something that we're, it's worth paying attention to going forward. Like who's the ref in the Shota Umino matches? Is it his dad or is it anyone else? Who, uh, where and when do you think would be the best spot to re-debut Shota Umino? Like, which show and who would be a good first opponent for him? I was really hoping that we were going to do, like, a full generation comeback at the same time. And I know that that's not necessarily typically how New Japan operates, but I was really hoping we'd see, like, Shota and Renarita come back at the same time, maybe with suji and yumura depending on how they how they feel about how their excursions are going i know that those excursions have been much shorter but you know that's a whole generation to me and i think that that you know putting those guys together could could make for a really cool interesting unit um i it, it doesn't seem to be the plan because narita's already back and and shoda's probably right behind him as for when he comes back it you know it depends how how elevated they want to go with him really quickly. I was, you know, a, a perfect spot would have been this TV title tournament and just bring him up. But then he's coming back at the same time as Narita. And I think they're, they're they are trying to leave some space between them. So maybe, you know, I don't know that he's like a wrestle kingdom challenger come out at the, at the end of a title match type guy, but um, this story with Osprey might go somewhere. And I think, that could tie back to the Osprey Moxley situation with the Death Rider jacket and Osprey being critical of that. And is, you know, where is your friend John Moxley, right? And if, if we've got any sort of access to John Moxley, that could, you know, you, you could make something out of that for sure. If Osprey has the respect for Shota, if he becomes, if Shota could, get, could become Osprey's, um, if Osprey, or if, if, how could I say this? They could build the same relationship that Osprey and Okada had and then eventually break it off and you could build Shota that way. Um, that could certainly be a possibility. So I, th- I think there's endless possibilities for, for Umino right now. Um, he does kind of have the Tanahashi cosplay thing happening. Um, so you might have to either work through or lean into that. 
See, now when you're talking about the refs, I'm imagining some very cheesy angle with Gideon Gray paying off all the referees. <laughs> Rich who's, you know, with a big sack of cash coming out and um, refereeing in a way that's favourable to Osprey. But sure, that's not going to be how it plays out. I mean, I was actually quite keen on the idea of Shota against Chris Jericho, just based on the short interactions they had at Forbidden Door. And I don't know if it would be possible. And I know Chris Jericho is sort of diminishing returns at this point, but I think there will be... Uh, a lot of money in him versus Shota Umino in a singles match, potentially for Wrestle Kingdom. But I suppose we'll have to wait and see, you know, who is on the table uh, as far as AEW offerings for, for Wrestle Kingdom. But that certainly might be one to keep an eye moving forward. Uh, I won't go match by match for the rest of the card because I don't think there was anything that was really worthy of it. Some matches that stood out to me, the, the fourth match, the LIJ against Suzuki and Six Man, that just had a tremendous energy and just... So hearing guys like Doki getting such a tremendous reception from the UK fans was really heartwarming to see. And that was a, a really, really fun match. And uh, the opener as well, it's great to see Gabe Kidd back. So he had his singles match against Dan Maloney. And I mean, Dan Maloney looking like a million bucks. He's looking like he's just walked off the set of 300. So and I'll be curious <laughs> to see if he is the guy that New <laughs> Japan are going to take yeah. a, a closer look at. But uh, certainly great to see Gabe back. I would love to see him coming back to Japan sometime soon if he's... Uh, you know, fit and healthy and if he's in the right mental frame of mind and it was good to hear that the commentary didn't shy away from that. You know, they they spoke about that freely and openly, which is, you know, what we want when it comes to mental health issues. Um, was there anything that stood out for you from the undercard that you want to talk about? Just, I was going to mention Gabe Kidd. Uh, big fan of Gabe Kidd. I love him in the ring. I think he's got all the potential in the world and I, you know, I really hope that this is a sign that he's he can come back, you know, um, consistently because I think he's he could be a part of that Young Lion generation too, right? You've got Kid, Coglin, and Connors, and they're all right up there too with Narita, Umino, um, Suji, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, in just a moment, and hopefully Uemura, right? And and though that is such an important cog in the wheel to the growth of New Japan, I think. So and 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 Gabe Kid is is right up there. He's a guy that a lot of people are in New Japan are familiar with. Let's talk about night two then. So, again, working from the main event backwards, it was a special singles match. Tetsuya Naito defeating Zack Sabre Jr. in 21 minutes, five seconds with the Destino. So Naito, by winning this match, earned himself a crack at Will Ospreay's US title, which we're going to see in Edion Arena uh, next month, I believe it will be. So uh, this is one of those matches where it was a tremendous match, two of my favourite wrestlers, but I don't have a great deal to say about it just because we've seen these guys wrestle each other so much. And, you know, it's that classic sort of New Japan thing where two top guys have a little trilogy within the calendar year. So they had their match, uh, it was in the New Japan Cup where Zack Sabre Jr. won that one and then Naito got the surprise, uh, very quick win during the G1 Climax. And now Naito wins the rubber match in a sort of more drawn out sort of main event style match. But just... Two great wrestlers doing great wrestling. What more can I say? Yeah, no, no more to say about it there. I didn't think it was anything innovative, but I think it was, I mean, they, they did what they do and they did it great. And I think the most interesting, and my favorite match of the weekend, actually, the seventh match was Tomohiro Ishii defeating Yota Suji in 17 minutes, 36 seconds by a vertical drop brain buster. So, I mean, of course, Suji wasn't even supposed to be taking part in the first place. It was supposed to be Jonah, but due to the, the, was it a typhoon situation? He wasn't able to make it. And I mean, talk about picking up a ball and running with it. I thought Yota Suji was fantastic here. And he's always been one of my favorites from that class. But just to see him coming out, 
the, the this kind of gimmick he's got going on. I don't know if this is a very, very deep cut. Most people won't get this, but there was a, an old sort of 2D beat up SNK beat up called The Last Blade. And there was this character called Amano who had this, uh, you know, very similar sort of start to close as Yota Suji with the long flowing hair, just like sort of grinning at people, a bit of a ladies' man. That's what Suji reminded me of. But then just when he took that off and he actually got in the ring, he just seems to have this tremendous mix of sort of the beefy big boy style. He's got some really nasty kicks and knees. He's got this big shit-eating grin. He can do the trash talk. He was doing that with Ishii. And then he sort of sprinkles in the sort of high-flying lucha spots at the perfect moment. I mean, I was so excited coming out of this match seeing Yota Suji. I'm so high on this guy. I had a great time watching this match. I'm, I'm actually really glad that this is how this went. Um, in the sense, you know, you, Jonah is awesome. I really hope that, again, I hope that that continues to be a relationship that New Japan has. But this spot, you know, if you look at the seventh match or the or the semi-main on both these nights, you've had kind of a final boss type match with Umino and, and Osprey, where there's clearly maybe some sort of go-forward plan. And then this was kind of a midpoint, I think, check for Suji. If can he keep up with Ishii, who's not necessarily the the fastest worker, but he's, you know, we we already talked about it in the Hall of Fame kind of chat. He's one of the best, right? So if you can hang and, and put in 15 to 18 minutes with Ishii, like you're probably in a really good spot. And maybe there's a couple of things to continue to iron out and start to build character. But Suji proved something with this match. And I think, you know, like, I know they want to make the excursions a little bit shorter and they want to get these guys back into the fold a little bit faster. They've been really kind of vocal about that on the business side of things. He's a candidate to really kind of plug in and and, and see if we can make something out of this uh, relatively soon, especially after a match with Ishii. I did see Suji get a little winded in the middle um, and Ishii kind of had to give him a like, come on, let's go, we got this. Um, so maybe there's some conditioning to be done over the next say six months but i'm really hopeful we see yoda suji back uh, sooner than later i'd also thought it was a great performance from ishii and i know we talked about ishii earlier but he's a guy that we usually see him plugged in in sort of big matches high up the card against established stars where you know they want to have a big main event you know against a guy like a, a shingo or a naito or whatever so it's weird. We don't often get to see him working against young guys, particularly guys who are on their excursion or just return from their excursion. So I thought he did a tremendous job, uh, as you say, guiding Suji through the match and sort of bringing out his strengths. And of course, we're going to see Ishii next week, uh, hopefully doing the same against Aranda Narita. So I think maybe as the sort of career of Tomohiro Ishii, I don't want to say winds down, but sort of slows down then it will be great to see him put in similar spots like this where he can work with the, the stars of tomorrow. So uh, Frank says, Yotsuji was so impressive. I hope we see him in New Japan again sooner rather than later. How do you see his return being handled? Would Wrestle Kingdom be too soon? Uh, I would say yes at this point. I think I don't expect to see Suji back for, what, maybe another year? Yeah, I think, I mean, if, if we're going with kind of classic length, excursion we're still looking at about this time next year when we can start to speculate on when he's going to pop back up um i don't know that it would necessarily be too soon but i'm more a fan of throwing guys in as opposed to the really long excursions um and i you know i don't think that that's uncommon for people on the outside to to be considering so um but yeah i mean i think there's there's more time 
that they're going to think he needs. And there's probably more time. The other thing is that there's more time that the current super young line class needs before they go on to excursion. So, and that's the other thing that they're, I think, working on the pacing of is how soon before they go on excursion, right? When you're, when you're looking at the current young lion crop. So, because they always want to have one group in Japan in the black tights and then one group out and about, you know, growing and learning. And I don't think they're ready for the current kind of black tights, young lions to be sent off to excursion yet. So, and that would create a little bit of a gap in, in, in the plan. Yeah. And also I think you want to let the moment breathe when they do return. Because if you're returning too many guys in too short a space of time, then none of them end up looking special. So I think definitely we'll take our time with that one. Suji's not quite there yet, but uh, I think when he does come back, there's reason to be excited about him. So again, the rest of the cards, I don't have a huge amount to say. I mean, the sixth match seeing Okada against Badu Tito, I mean, what a feather in the cap of Tito to be. Not that this was a sort of outstanding match or anything that's going to make people's match of the year list, but the fact that he was trusted, he was the guy sort of given the tap on the shoulder. Okay, go out there in front of this London crowd, have a singles match with Okada. And of course, it played into the story with Okada sort of having to go through the TMDK uh, teammate of Jonah to get to Jonah. So that all made sense. But just, I think it's a big sign of trust and faith in Bad Tito that he was given this match in the first place. Yeah, I mean, I in watching this match, I beamed with pride because I know I'm a part of the Bad Dude Tito you know, fan club, as I know that the, the Super J cast is as well. I mean, what a what a cool glow up he's had. And, you know, he's, he's what a what a what a run, right? Like even I mean, like, I don't, I don't know what he'll make out of it or if he'll ever be a guy. Right. But man, what a cool thing for him to have achieved um, a singles match with Okada, you know, a really probably a solid spot with New Japan if he wants it, if that's where he ends up landing. I mean, the dude, you know, very potentially has just built a career out of, you know, the the chances that he's had over the past, say, what, 18 months, six, you know, 12 months, 12 to 18 months with New Japan. So, you know, anytime you get a singles match with the top guy, that means something. So it's very cool. So let's just quickly touch on uh, the situation with the IWGP Women's Championship, because we had one match of this tournament taking place at Royal Quest. So... Uh, I apologize if, if this is going to spoil anyone who was wanting to watch a stardom show that took place today. So you might want to skip forward a, a couple of minutes. But we're down to our final four. We've got uh, Mayu, Utami, Kairi, and Jazzy. So we saw the first round match here with Jazzy Gabbert defeating Ava White in 10 minutes, 34 seconds with Inoki Plex. I don't know, man. This one, it was a, a strange choice. If the idea was to get foreign fans excited about stardom, having... Just, I mean, particularly the choice of Ava White as the opponent, um, it sort of left me scratching my head. Like, it, it was a, a weird choice to be like, hey, everyone, this is stardom. Get excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that much about... Um, I, don't, I don't follow stardom that closely, so I, I can't speak too, uh, too much as an expert in that way. But there are names that I know through conversation, and those are not... These are not the names that I know as kind of top level or, or, or even kind of mid-level stardom um, stars. So, right. Uh, an interesting 
choice. I know they're trying to do this international and domestic kind of thing, um, which also is an interesting choice when you've got potentially access to some of the best Joshi talent on the planet. So I, but I, I can't be too critical because I'm not that familiar with kind of the situation. Another match I think is worth talking about here was the second match with Hiromu and Sonata defeating the team of Luke Jacob and Ethan Allen. Now, I thought uh, Sonata in particular put on a real shift here, getting over uh, Luke Jacob and Ethan Allen and making the young guns look really good here. So this was 14 minutes long. I mean, this is that's quite long for a second match with you know two established stars like Hiromu and Sonata going up against young guns. So I was really impressed here. I think they, they really went out of their way to make young guns look good here. Yeah, and maybe that was a test for a spot in in a tag league, right? So, um, but yeah, they looked they looked great. There's there's some talent in the kind of Rev Pro side of things that I think could be tapped into the same way that the CMLL talent could be. So, I think we are starting to see those relationships really come to back to fruition. You know, I I think part of what I what I saw in these Royal Quest shows was how. Um, I used to be really critical when people would go on excursion to RevPro because I'm like, well, they're going to work like once a month, you know, and I, maybe that doesn't necessarily matter because the excursions are going well, the talent is in the building, um, and th- those relationships can continue to be really strong. So these guys look great. What a question from Multiverse AC says, what's the ceiling for RKJ in New Japan? And Chris says, which RevPro guys would you like to see in New Japan? Where do you think they were best fit? And any word back from New Japan on whether they considered the event a success? Tickets seem to move pretty well for one. I mean, yeah, I would say based on the ticket sales that, yeah, this was a success. Um, and yeah, anyone from the RevPro side that you think really stood out that, uh, and particularly Ricky Knight Jr.? I mean, Ricky Knight Jr. is fantastic. His ceiling, in, if, he, if he came over to New Japan, is probably, you know, the top of the, the, top of the card in, in, in certain ways, right? Like, I don't know that he's necessarily the next Will Ospreay but, um, or Jay White, but he's definitely a guy that they could, they could put to good use and, and trust in a big spot. Um, you know, otherwise, I, I don't think anyone stood out as someone I wouldn't want to see in New Japan, but... I have a tough time analyzing anyone until they're like in a blue ring in Japan for a full tour. And at that point you can see kind of what someone's got. So, but all these guys showed up and they showed out and this was a, you know, it's obviously a pretty big crowd for them. Um, an exciting event, an opportunity to, to show what they've got to a, 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 a partner company, um, based on relationships with red pro. So, um, you know, guys like even Michael Oku, we've been waiting for him to show up in New Japan in, in various states. And I know he's had a lot going on and, um, you know, bouncing around a little bit out over there. But those are some of the all, all these guys are viable candidates to come and, and show up. And, and then it's just a matter of, um, you know, what relationship they build with the company and, and how they show up in the ring and how if they get over. I mean, look at Best of the Super Juniors and, and, and Alex Zane. I mean, the dude got over. He's now got a relationship with New Japan for, you know, for the time being at least. And I think that there's there's huge growth to be had there. So anytime that you get a chance, you got to take it. Yeah, if there's one sort of next step moving forward, I would love to see more of the Rev Pro guys get a chance, get flown out to Japan, even if it's just for the old show or the old tour, just so we get to sort of raise their profile a bit more. Uh, but a question from Bash who says, 
What were your personal favourite matches on Royal Quest? Also, aren't half the matches you watch now moot points and don't mean anything at all with them putting up so late? As I mentioned, on Keeping It Strong Style, shameless plug, sorry about that, Bash. Hey, no shame here on the Super J cast. I will quite happily plug your appearance on Keeping It Strong Style. Uh, tremendous podcast, and they do put much more professional work than I do here on the J cast. So, uh, yeah, absolutely good stuff there. Uh, so, yeah, my, my favourite match was Ishii versus Yotosuji. I just I was I had a massive grin on my face watching that. So you know, even though the tag title match was the big epic, and I certainly enjoyed that a lot. I mean, the Suji Ishi match stole the show for me. Yeah, and and for me similarly, but I really like the Umino Osprey match because I really I'm I'm really invested in that. Like Umino was really a part of that. That Moxley storyline was such a huge elevator for new japan that year in 2019 and umino was such a big part of that and i think you know they they need to honor that and and for him to come back in a in a big way so that to me was the big one for me to for me to analyze and he was impressive he looked good and he showed up uh strong so you know both of those kind of excursion matches and and maybe that's just our lane here for for those of us you know me and you joel like we we pay such close attention to these guys development paths that um you know i think i think maybe you know we have a we have a bias for that growth but man it was fun to see and it was cool to see that you know rev pro really proved themselves as a great partner with these royal quest shows as well as with um the results that they're pumping out with these excursions yeah, absolutely agree. I think the pair of shows can definitely be considered a, a big success. So hopefully they're not shy about coming back to the UK in future. And I think the quality of the shows will dispel some of the concerns that people had when the cards were initially announced. And I know the cards were slow to be announced as well. But I just think it's one of these things, if you're in the UK and it's possible for you to travel to the show that's been announced, just go, just get a ticket. You're going to have a good time. You know, there was no one who went away from these shows thinking, oh, you know, I got jits. It wasn't worth the money. It wasn't worth the travel. Everyone had a good time, even if on paper they might not have been the kind of sexy matches you might have been hoping for. Um, but let's move on and talk about the New Japan World TV title. So as it stands, we've had six first-round matches so far. We had a Kanemaru, uh, David Finley defeating Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Zack Sabre Jr. defeating Alex Zane, Yoshihashi getting a surprise win over Jeff Cobb, Evil defeating Aaron Hanare. We had Kenta beating Hiroki Goto and Sanada defeating Taichi. So, you know, I'm not going to go match by match because these will be ice cold takes at this point. But what has stood out to you as highlights so far? I love the pre-match promos. And I think that, that that's such a unique thing that, that New Japan doesn't necessarily do frequently. We do these big, you know, VTRs and all that. But just one quick pre-match promo that sets up you know this singles match i think that's been such a cool um cool differentiator for these particular matches and and as i look at it kind of going forward to me that that's going to be a really i hope they continue to do that once these are title matches that are getting posted to various places on you know new japan world or youtube or where you know wherever i know they they said they're going to basically post these matches everywhere um and what I hope is that they keep that little piece to the puzzle, which is these little pre-match promos that really makes these matches um, operate in a vacuum, right? So if they're just going to post this singular match online for free uh, as, a, as a title match, you want there to be that brief moment where you can 
tell the story, right? And some of the pre-match promos have been awesome. I mean, Tai Chi's entire strategy was to win coin tosses because he's lucky. Um, and Goto said he addressed that the, the title is for the young, you know, the intention of this title is for young wrestlers and he's 43 years young, you know, I mean like all those types of things, like th those are really neat little, um, little nuggets that bring you even further into, you know, the importance of the match. So oh, my overall, my overarching kind of feel about these matches is that, it's a little bit of a trope that everyone's going pretty close to 15 minutes. Um, and of course you had Sonata go 1457 because apparently the man has the best timing. Um, but I, you know, I'd like to see one of them end in what five, you know, like just really fast. But, um, or, I mean, at some point we got to get a coin toss in here. Right. I mean, like they've, they've made it a thing and, you know, I know sometimes new Japan makes things, you know, makes things out to be part of a story that ne they never really come to fruition. But I would love to see something go to a coin toss, um, just because I think that that is the most outrageous way to determine a, a tournament match. But it's been a real cool breath of fresh air to know that these matches are going to end in less than 15 minutes in main event slots, right? Main event, New Japan main event, part of a tournament, you got to figure you're carving out 25 minutes. Um, whereas in, in this situation, you're carving out 15 and I think, um, I think they've done a nice job of making that a differentiator for the, for the match style, even though this is basically a small new Japan cup, uh, when it comes to kind of the roster, um, that's kind of the level of the guys that, that you typically would see on one side of a, a new Japan cup bracket. So instead of it being, you know, this kind of super different young group. Yeah, it's been interesting, actually, the way on the commentary they have been talking about the wrestlers and their average match times, which I'm sure you had a, a solid hand in, Chris, but uh, a lot of them average times actually being below 15 minutes. Yet, in spite of that, they are still going out there and wrestling with a great sense of urgency, you know, hot off the blocks, you know, guys starting off matches with big, you know, drop kicks and plunges from the side and stuff like that. So it's good that it is playing into the matches rather than just having a, a standard match that just happens to finish a little bit earlier. Um, I mean, I've really enjoyed, like, particularly the top two I mentioned, Goto Kenta and Sonata Taichi being in front of a cheering crowd, I think really helped. And Sonata Taichi has been, I think, one of the sort of low-key, most enjoyable feuds of this year, where it's been sort of very good nature. These are guys that you feel would be good mates if they happen to be you know the, the fact that they're in uh, different factions is like a sort of Romeo and Juliet star twist of fate where if they're in the same faction you think they might be quite good buddies and sort of the mask swapping and the the pet popping and a really good match just like the, the closing stretch the way that they timed it all was I thought really really well executed I thought Goto and Kenta they sort of tapped into a bit of the violent street that was in their Wrestle Kingdom match several years ago and I thought Evil Hinari was really good actually I thought Hinari was great in that performance I was expecting the worst but uh, I thought they got the House of Torture shenanigans out of the way well clear of the closing stretch and I thought Hinari acquitted himself really well actually and you know showing himself to try to be this sort of energetic powerhouse bully but not just sort of falling at the last hurdle just getting outsmarted by evil i think it was the exposed ring po the, the turnbuckle on the ring post where hanar had forgotten about and just went charging into that so it was like evil one with his cunning and his smarts rather than sort of the usual layer upon layer of uh, house of torture horseshit and, and of course the cob and yoshihashi thing they've had a little sort of 
long-term feud running where Cobb has traditionally got the better of him. But Yoshihashi was able to finally sneak out a win here and outsmart Cobb by you know going after the body part. So yeah, so far I've really enjoyed everything and I'm very excited to see uh, what's going to be coming up for us uh, next week on this card. Uh, yeah, this I mean... Tournament. So, I- uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I think the match everyone's had circled from from the moment the the tournament was announced was Narita and Ishii, um, and and that is just in a couple of days' time now. So that's that's the first round match, and you know I think a lot of people have Narita because of how they presented this title, and they were very transparent about what their goal is for who holds this title. People have Narita um, pegged as as the guy, which you know for good reason he just came back and then they announced the title and then he's in the tournament and it does really line up with both his style as well as his age um you got to figure he's the front runner but i don't know that that's necessarily how um new japan typically operates so they there's got to be a chase and i don't know that just a single tournament is a chase but i do think he'll at least get pretty far in the tournament somehow get past ishii so but i'm very excited for that match on the 26th yeah, I think we're sort of in danger of sort of hive-minding each other into convince, you know, convincing ourselves that Narita's going to go deep in the tournament or win the tournament. Would I be stunned if Ishii just, you know, puts him away in 30 minutes with a brain buster? Not really. I'd be disappointed, yeah, because, you know, I really, I hope Narita wins. I think he's going to win, but it wouldn't stun me if he didn't. So I think, yeah, obviously that's the one, as you say, a lot of people have got circled, uh, given that, you know, this is a double header of cheering shows at Korok and the Hall. So this is next Wednesday and Thursday. So uh, let's have your picks then. So we've got the seventh match would be Yano against Great Okan. Obviously, they've got a bit of history together. And then Narita versus Ishii. So who do you think goes through from those two matches? I think Narita gets through. And I think Okan gets through. Yeah. Well, that would be, you know, a pretty tasty second round match. Yeah. I think it would line up. It would be Narita versus Great Okan, right? Yes. Yeah. And that would be shortly thereafter, actually, on the 30th. Hmm. Um, okay, well, the question's then about Ren Narita. So, Juice9100, uh, Juice9100. I never know how to read these Twitter handles. Uh, Ren Narita, how good do you think he can be? Also, do you think Ren should be the first guy to hold the new TV championship? So, do you think he's going to win it? And what do you think his ceiling is? I think maybe he should. I don't think he will. Um, because I think, I think you know, there, there's a little bit of throwing people off the off the scent here. Um, I think Narita is going to be a great wrestler for New Japan for a very long time. And I was not a big, after, say, I think the 2019 um, Young Lions Cup, and then even through his excursion, I was never huge on him. I, you know, he always kind of saw that he's, he's good, but he, the, the Shibata, all the Shibata stuff, everything he did on Strong, the juice match, um, and then this return um, is really setting him up to, to have a, a solid spot going forward. Um, and I think, I think he, maybe he's in the final and he doesn't win because everyone thinks he's going to win. Or maybe, maybe they do just establish this title as, um, you know, the title for the youth, but great Okan would fit that too. Um, there's other guys in the bracket that are still around that, that would also kind of fit that mold for new japan so i don't think we can ignore that yeah i mean especially if we're sort of looking at the sort of social media and free tv element of this title i mean great okan is the sort of golden boy at the moment as far as you know media appearances and stuff like that goes so 
I think, yeah, maybe people have been uh, overlooking Okan as far as this tournament goes. Uh, Rob says, so to make the TV title about the young guys, Ren wins January 4th and gets challenged by returning Shota on January 5th. Um, I don't think so. I mean, I think Shota has... I don't want to say bigger because I don't want to diminish this TV title, but I, I, I would think Shota would be in line for something different. I don't think they would want to have those two young guys clashing that early on. Yeah, I think Shota might come right back in at that U.S. title challenger level. Whether he wins or, you know, whether he stays at that level is, is to be determined. But I do think he comes back and feuds with one of the big boys. So then... If I'm not mistaken, the Thursday cheering show at Korokuen would see Finley against Zack and Yoshihashi against Evil. Is that right? Yes. And who would you be picking to go through on that? Because mm. those are quite difficult to call. I mean, Yoshihashi and Evil, low-key, I think some of the, the better chemistry in New Japan, I think every time they get in the ring together, even with all the House of Torture stuff, it kind of plays into it and sort of really cranks up the, the underdog energy of uh, Yoshihashi and Finley against Zack. I mean, that's that's a pretty tasty one on paper as well. Yeah, I think somehow Finley gets through. Um, I think that, I think Finley's got some momentum coming out of the, you know, the Osprey US title match and a pretty good G1. And he is, he's still in that young guy, new established star lane too. So I think somehow Finley gets through. Um, and then, God, Yoshihashi Evil, I could go either way on that, you know? I mean, like, that's just, that's tough to call because Yoshihashi's not exactly a, um, a powerhouse, but Evil, I don't know that this is the title lane for Evil either, right? So I guess, you know, if I really had to pick it, I'd probably pick Yoshihashi. So then you've got Yoshihashi Finley coming up at, uh, in Osaka. So that seems okay. I don't know. I'm not really sure. This side of the bracket's kind of odd to me. Yeah, I could see that. I could also see Evil versus Finley just for the sort of sure. dynamics of it. Sure. That would work as well. Uh, I did actually enjoy on the undercard stuff, uh, Zach telling Finley, lifting up the ring apron and saying, get under the ring and go find your brother, which is a very <laughs> yeah. amusing shout out for all of us who followed the deep Hornswoggle law back in the day with WWE. We have a question here from MBTLOUFC. It says, the issue I have with the TV belt is that as soon as it was pitched for younger wrestlers, it was obvious Rem was going to win. If this one line was omitted, we just have accepted it's a new belt in the old never spot, and that would have been fine. So I mean, how do you think that they have approached this? Do you think it was a sort of unnecessary caveat to add to that and sort of made you think, oh, well, why isn't this guy in it? Why isn't this guy in it? Do you think they would have been better off just saying it's a new title with the time it rather than saying that it's for young guys. Yeah. I, well, I think this, this kind of all goes back to the relationship with TV Asahi and new Japan and TV Asahi wants this title to be this thing. And it is then presented that way as you know, as a great partner of new Japan long-term um, and new Japan has some wrestlers that are available for a tournament like this and, you know, I think that they didn't necessarily sit in the room and book this together, right? So I think the intention of the title is for it to end up to be as it was presented. Whether that is an option in this first tournament, you know, they they clearly put this together relatively quickly. And 
uh, well, the tournament at least. Maybe the title's been in, in, in play for a while. But um, yeah, I think I do think that the objective will end up being true, even though maybe if you look at the names in this tournament, it's not necessarily um, indicative of that objective. Now, of course, we've got a huge match coming up tomorrow in Almori from the Battle Autumn Show. The main event for this will be the Never Openweight Six-Man Tag Team Championship match with the 24th champions, House of Torture, Show, Yujiro and Evil with their first defense against the challengers of Ryusuke Taguchi, Hikono and Hiroshi Tanahashi. That, you know, pure Fire Pro random select team <laughs> energy that we know and love for the uh, six-man tag championships. So... Chris, these uh, champions, so the House of Torture team, have been holding these titles. Of course, it's their second reign, right. but uh, for this reign, it is 28 days and counting. Um, I've got in my notes here to make a joke about Liz Truss. Do you think <laughs> uh, House of Torture successfully retain and their second reign lasts longer than the premiership of crap Tory MP Liz Truss? How do you think this one plays out? I do think House of Torture retains. I don't think... Um... I, I don't think Hiroshi Tanahashi is going to hold the Never Six Man titles again right now. Um, and I think Hikaleo has enough going on with the Carl Anderson stuff. And Taguchi's just the, the guy that you throw into a title match like this. It is very fire pro, sort of. They're all loosely associated at this point. It's, it is still strange to me to see Hikaleo on that side of the equation. But um, I think that part of why he's in this match is to, you know, continue to show that he's not, he's no longer associated with, um, with bullet club. So, but no, I think house of torture wins this in probably a, you know, the, the usual shenanigan type type match. Um, someone's going to roll up to Gucci and call it a day. And uh, let's, before we finish touch on new Japan strong. So this was the show, uh, last Saturday, October 15th, uh, in Vegas, the autumn action show. So we open up with, uh, Doc Gallows defeating Shea Cabrera in 7 minutes 53 seconds with an anarchy suplex. Um, I mean, Shea Cabrera, I've said before, I don't think he has as much upside as his uh, tag team buddy, Bad Dude Tito, but I would just, I would love to see them reunite at some point just to see how that one plays out. You know, would Bad Dude uh, reject Shea Cabrera because now he's affiliated with TMDK or would Shea Cabrera be welcomed into TMDK? I'd just be very interested to see how that one works. Uh, and also the second match was the New Japan Strong Tag Team Championship match with... Aussie Open successfully uh, defending against Danny Limelight and Jack Kratos in 10 minutes, 8 seconds. And I mean, they packed a lot into this. I'm just, I really love the fact that we've got these strong tag titles now and Aussie Open are such a sort of high-energy team that always go out there and give you 100% and are able to make a 10-minute match like this uh, special and memorable. I think it's just been such a, a big uh, spot in the strong roster that we've been you know crying out for tag titles for seems like well over a year and now they've delivered it. And I think it's, it's delivering a proof of concept that it works. Yeah. I love love. I mean, Aussie open is one of the best tag teams in the world right now. And just to have access to them in on these strong shows, you know, I think I'm, I'm really hopeful that their presence and if they continue to hold those, those strong titles, that their presence on that show really elevates the show because the show is great. Um, the wrestling is, is really good. It's an easy watch every week. I know everyone's talked about it. Everyone in, in, you know, my universe loves strong, um, for the most part. And the tag title piece is, is a really neat, you know, kind of, kind of element to it. And it, it was to me a little bit of a, 
the reason that I didn't see Aussie Open defeating FTR because I didn't think they were going to end up being double tag champs with New Japan. But um, yeah, I mean, like even a match with Danny Limelight and JR Kratos, and th- those guys are good. But I think that they were elevated by Aussie Open, and 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 I'm really excited to see where those defenses start to go. Now, the main event of this episode of Strong was the Strong Openweight Championship match with champion Fred Rosser successfully defending against the challenger Chris Dickinson after a double countout in 6 minutes 48 seconds. So the Chris Dickinson situation, I mean, we have been told uh, don't expect to see him again anytime soon in New Japan. So, you know, we're not sure exactly what his contract says, but assuming he is paper appearance, then that would mean, you know, his appearance prior to this one would have been three months. So that would basically be a three-month suspension without pay when everything first came out. And then as they were doing these tapings, the details were coming out from the lawsuit and some of the evidence from that. So it looks, my, my interpretation of things is that New Japan saw that and have just decided to, to pull the plug on it then, which, you know, fair play to them for doing. A lot of people feared the worst that they thought they were just going to sort of plow through with it and keep using Chris Dickinson, which I don't think would have been the right move. I think in retrospect, a bit more transparency and maybe being a bit more decisive when things first happened would have been better. But I think I'll I'll give him a pass on this one. As long as we don't have to see Chris Dickinson again anytime soon, if they're true to their words, then I would uh, consider that by New Japan standards uh, a, a dub because, you know, we've seen from things that have happened before with the Marty Skull trying to be snuck back in, fans were quite rightly suspicious. And, you know, I don't know if it was the details of the lawsuit or if the fans writing in have made a difference, but either way, I think the right course of action to not use Chris Dickinson moving forward. Yeah, it seems pretty clear that they were, I mean, just based on the results of of, uh, how his appearances were, um handled in a sense of the the in ring and and how it was booked um it does seem pretty clear that there was some sort of compliance happening on on one on the new japan side and yeah again i mean i i, I don't know enough about i guess the particulars of the case to you know have an informed decision but i always think it's good to wait for things to shake out before you dive back in so um that's it, it does. I mean, a double countout seems like a really obvious tell that this, this was just a compliance piece, and and they're gonna figure things out later in a different way. And I'm also been told that the episode is strong. I guess that will drop uh, by the time you're listening to this. It will probably already be up. But I've heard very good things about Rocky Romero against Shingo Takaki. So if you haven't already watched this when you're listening to it, do go out of your way to see that because. That will be a ton of fun. We've also got Yuya Wemmer against Christopher Daniels in the singles match, which should be great. And, and my boy, Jacob Austin Young and Greg Sharp against Jerome Nelson and Royce Isaac. So I think that's quite a tasty episode of Strong to look forward to coming up tomorrow. So uh, that is all from me, Chris. Thank you so much for hopping in. Um, it's been fantastic. Has you got anything that you'd like to plug before we get out of here? Uh, no, you can find me on Twitter at the Chris Samsa. And um, during major tournaments, all my work gets posted at um sport of pro wrestling.com or voices of wrestling.com and that's kind of all i got but thank you for having me i i love to finally have the opportunity to talk to you uh in a in a more vocal way uh as i hope for the crowds in japan going forward 
Yeah, likewise. I think maybe it would be fun to do a sort of a roundtable thing. I know uh, John used to do this on on Makase. So if Makase is still on hiatus, uh, by the end of the year, it might be fun to uh, get you back and maybe a couple of other people we can discuss the year that was for New Japan. But uh, yeah, we'll definitely be having you back on the show if you'll have us. Chris, uh, thank you again for for stepping in. So redcircle.com forward slash shows forward slash super dash j dash cast. If you want to throw some money our way, always very much appreciated. If you want to join our Discord, you can send me a direct message on Twitter and I will share a link at Cobra Kawaii and ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash SuperJCast for our t-shirts. Big thank you to Editor Dan. You can find him on Twitter at LousyHero219. Subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network for other great shows. Give us a five-snake review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at the SuperJCast. Thank you everybody for listening and goodbye. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.